fireworks. Uh, we'll meet here at the church at 7 and then head out to three locations. We'll have bottled water to give out for free just to bless folks uh, as a simple, practical demonstration of God's love and also a VBS invitation. So uh, please join us for that and then we'll actually go and enjoy the fireworks as well. If you have questions about it, just talk to Mike Lilly. We also have our VBS coming up and I uh, want to encourage you to be praying. That's probably one of the most important things we can do is to pray. So uh, perhaps uh, every evening around the dinner table, you can just remember to pray for God's blessing on VBS. And if you're able to help out, we could still use more help. One thing I got to do this past week that was a, a wonderful uh, experience for me, I was involved for the first time, surprisingly, actually, because uh, I wanted to do it for a while. I was involved with, uh, with feeding uh, some needy folks at GAR Park. Uh, on Wednesday. We do that regularly. We participate with a ministry that's been doing it for years. And, um, and I had a wonderful time. I just want to encourage you, if you're able to be there at 4 o'clock on Wednesdays, to consider. I know some of you uh, have been a part of it for a while. Thank you. It's just a, a wonderful opportunity to love others in a real practical way to feed them and to, to see, actually, uh, what some folks are going through, too. I think it just uh, uh, will encourage you in, in terms of... Uh, remembering what the Lord's given you, and just encourage you to, to give away what you have. It's an opportunity to do that in a real practical way. So again, talk to Mike Lilly if you have questions about that. Um, I'd just love to see a huge amount of folks involved with that. Well, we are in our series in Mark entitled Amazed, and we are learning about Jesus, the most amazing person who's ever lived, more than just a mere man. Uh, and we're learning as we consider this amazing one to... Uh, follow. We are hearing his call, I trust, to follow this amazing one. And so today we're going to continue. We are in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 into chapter 3, verse 6. The story goes together. It bridges two chapters. And the title of the message today is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God's word. Lord, we thank you for this story that's been preserved in your word. We thank you, Lord, for how it's preserved and, and how you were in that and when Mark wrote it. And we thank you, Lord, that you have intentions through it to, to bring truth and life, not just for your people throughout the ages, but for us today. Thank you, Lord, that you speak. You speak and bring life to your people. We need your word. We need that life today. And so we ask you, Lord, come Holy Spirit and speak through the word to us. Illuminate the word, illuminate our minds and hearts. Help us to see and to hear. And help me, Lord, to serve you, to serve your people, serve each and every one here with the truth of your word. Thank you for your wonderful living word. Bless it and glorify your name, we pray. Amen. Please read along with me, starting in verse 23 of chapter 2. This wonderful story about Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are, you, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him 
how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. God's word from Mark 2 and chapter 3. A man stood uh, near the doorway in a metro station in Washington, D.C., and started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning. He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that perhaps thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went, three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds, and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw some money in the till, and without stopping, continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man then looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was late for work. A three-year-old boy noticed him. His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. And finally, the mother had pushed hard, and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. That action was repeated by several other children, and all the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk on their normal pace. He collected about $32, mostly small bills, and a good deal of pennies. And when he finished playing and silence took over, only, only one, almost no one noticed him. Only one person among the thousands that passed recognized that he was the world famous violinist Joshua Bell, playing some of the most intricate pieces ever written with a Stradivarius violin worth three and a half million dollars. Two days before playing in the subway, he had played at the Boston Symphony uh, Hall, sold out, and the seats, the, an average seat went for a hundred dollars. He was playing in the subway as part of an experiment put on by the Washington Post about 
perception and taste and priorities. And what it revealed is just how easily we are blinded to that which is truly exceptional. Actually, you can see uh, there's vid this, it was videotaped. Uh, it was, and it's, it's amazing what he was playing. And it just revealed that really how easily we can be blinded to that which is truly exceptional. Well, in our story today, the Pharisees and many others are clearly blinded to the truly exceptional in their midst. Jesus himself is there. And they miss it. Worse than that, they actually plot to kill him. Instead of recognizing that the Lord of the Sabbath is with them. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this story. I want to talk about the fact that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I want to kind of do that in three ways. I, um, I don't know if there's notes. I think there aren't notes, right? I for, are there no Oh, good. Thank you. I forgot to hand them out. Um, so there's notes there. There's three things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about the what. What is, what does it mean to be Lord of the Sabbath in particular? What is the Sabbath thing all about? Next, I want to talk about why. Why he would say such a thing. What that means. How did he assert that? And then finally, so what? So uh, what does it mean for us? How does it apply to our lives? So what? Why? And then so what? So first, what? The Sabbath. Perhaps, probably for all of us, and some of us, maybe to a greater degree, you're, you're thinking, why all this fuss about the Sabbath? Why, why this story? Why are the Pharisees so upset about what goes on on the Sabbath? And why would Jesus care as well about the Sabbath? Why would he somehow be in conflict over this idea of the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? And, and why is it such a big deal? Well, the Sabbath is an important theme in the scriptures. It's an important uh, aspect of God's relationship with his people in the scripture. And it starts actually very early on in the book of Genesis. Uh, God, uh, God creates in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. So the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a rest. Really, that's what the word means. It means rest. So God himself and his creation, and his glorious creation, he actually, after he's done, he rests. There's a rest that comes. And that rest, that rest that God practiced in his creation is a basis for the command and the invitation to God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, to come and to rest as well and to make the seventh day a day of rest. Part of what God is saying in that is, is when he made creation, it says everything was good. And when he made mankind, it was very good. And then God rested on the seventh day. God is saying in that that all of creation is ultimately aiming at a rest. It's aiming at rest and relationship with God and peace and all the things that, that we all long for. That's the purpose of creation is this rest, is this Sabbath rest. The end of the week, there's rest. So that's a basis for the weekly celebration of the Sabbath. There's also another basis, too, for the people of God in the Old Testament. They uh, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They lived as slaves. They, they worked hard as slaves. They were oppressed as slaves. And they never had a day off, ever. Seven days a week, they were slaves. Seven days a week, they had work to do. There was no rest. And yet God, in his... Grace and mercy comes and rescues them from their slavery, delivers them from bondage to the Egyptians, and takes them out of Egypt and calls them to himself and says, Now, because I'm the God who rescued you from slavery, practice the Sabbath as rest. I'm giving you rest. 
from this slavery. I'm calling you to myself. So the Sabbath was an expression of that relationship with God, an expression really even of the purpose of creation, an expression of the redemption that he provided in, in delivering them from slavery. That's, that's the basis. That's the basis of this command. And so it's an important command, an important aspect of knowing God and knowing his purposes. Now, if you read the full story of the Bible, you'll read in places like Hebrews 4 and elsewhere, that Jesus comes as God in the flesh. He comes as a man, but God, fully God and fully man. And he comes and he fulfills all the promises of God. He fulfills all righteousness. He fulfills the Sabbath itself. He himself is our Sabbath rest. He comes and he provides rest for, for us. How does Jesus do that? How does Jesus make it so that he could be our Sabbath rest? Well, he works on our behalf. He does the work that we were called to do. God is God of holiness and goodness, and he's called mankind to be holy and to be good and to be like him and to, to fulfill the, the commands that he's given them. And every one of us has fallen short. We all fall short, yet Jesus came and he didn't fall short. He did the work that we were supposed to do and failed to do. He obeyed God. He believed God in all things. He, he submitted to his father and mother. He honored them. He didn't covet. He didn't kill. Instead, he loved, he blessed, he provided. He, he fulfilled the Ten Commandments both in their negative aspect and in their positive aspect. He loved God perfectly and loved others completely. He did the work that we are required to do for a holy God. He fulfilled it all for us. And then he offered up that perfect life on the cross. Because God's holy law not only requires us to do good works, to, to fulfill all these things, to be righteous, but it also says the wages of sin, in, in Romans, capturing really what the whole Old Testament would teach us, the wages of sin is death. That, that the penalty for rebellion against God is being cut off from a relationship with God, ultimately death, spiritual death, Physical death is really just a part or aspect or even just a sign of the worst type of death, which is spiritual death. And so Jesus did our work for us in his obedience to the Father and then bore the penalty for our wrongdoing on himself, suffered and died for our sins, paid for all of our sins if we would turn to him, every single last one of them. He did the work that we could never do. And then he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And so when we turn from self and sin, when we turn from self-effort, when we turn from our rebellion against God and turn and put our faith in Jesus, there is now a Sabbath rest in Jesus. There's a true rest because we are forgiven by God. He counts us totally forgiven and beloved, and he welcomes us into his family as his own. He counts us righteous. He looks at us and says, you are righteous. You have done all the work that I required of mankind. Now, we didn't do it ourselves, did we? But when we trust in Christ, we are so connected with him that his righteousness, his work, is credited to us. And there's no other work that God would require beyond the work Christ has done. There are good works that he has for us to do, but not to earn something, not to earn heaven, but to respond to the fact that he's already blessed us. So Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the Sabbath. 
And, and he comes in his death and resurrection to fulfill the Sabbath and what that provides for us. And he'll come back and return soon to complete all of what the Sabbath means, to bring a Sabbath rest to all of creation so that all of creation will enjoy that rest that we see in the first seven days. And in him we have our Sabbath rest. We have true rest in him. Could you imagine what it would be like if someone offered you a maybe let's say two weeks, all-expense-paid vacation to Hawaii or Italy or whatever the place of choice you might have. All expenses paid. Airfare, food. And maybe you would think, well, I, 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 you know, I'd love to go, but I've got so much to do at work. Or I have so much to do at home, and there's this to happen. Oh, no, no, we, I took care of that too. We're having people come in. Uh, actually, your workmates have all got together and they've done all your work for the next two weeks so you don't have to worry. Or, or we have someone to take care of the kids or they're going to come and actually going to do a, a home makeover while you're gone as well and, and babysit the kids. They're going to go to Disney World. Everything's taken care of. And now it's your job just to go and relax and enjoy. Yeah, you got some takers for that? <laughs> That's what Jesus has done for you. He has come and done all the work that you were required to do before God. He's done it all. He's made every provision for you. And he's atoned for all your sins. And now he says, come and enjoy. Rest in me. The believer lives in Sabbath rest every day. Now, we may not always feel like it. We may not always believe it. But that is the reality for the believer. You have that Sabbath rest. The work has been done. And God has been satisfied. And you are accepted and beloved. And there's rest. And, and it only gets better for us. There's true Sabbath rest for us. So that's, that's the background of the Sabbath. Both Old Testament and then the fulfillment in Christ. That's behind the passage that we're talking about. Part of what happened, though, between the Testaments. So I, I jumped from Old Testament to New Testament. One was, was a picture of the Sabbath, but not fulfilled yet. And then we see the fulfillment in Christ. But between the Testaments, there was a time. What happened was that God's people were called to, to celebrate the Sabbath, to honor the Sabbath as this expression of rest and this expression of the relationship with God as worship, as a sign of their redemption from Egypt. They were to rest on the seventh day. A wonderful way just to remind themselves of, of what they have in God and their relationship with God. But what happened is over time, from about 1000 BC to about 600 BC, uh, they, they drifted from their relationship with God. And they started to put their hope in other things. They started to put their hope in idols and false gods and, and their own strength. And they, they wandered away from God. And they stopped practicing the Sabbath. They, they forsook the Sabbath, a true Sabbath rest. And so what happened is, over time, it took about 400 years, God warned them and warned them and warned them and said, you've got to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to have to bring judgment on my people if you continue. And so after 400 years of being ignored, essentially, God finally did bring exile to them. He sent them out of the land. Now, the land itself was their rest. They were given this land as a place to rest and to prosper, and God sent them out of that. And he said in the process of that that you've, you're being exiled because you've broken my Sabbath. You've neglected the Sabbath. And even when they came back, you reminded them of that. And that was indeed what, what had happened. But it wasn't 
the fact, the, the technical Sabbath that they had neglected, they had neglected the heart of the Sabbath. They had neglected to, to live in the Lord, to find their rest in Him, to find their lives in Him, to define their week and their work and their purpose and their culture by God. They had rejected God, and their rejection of the Sabbath was just a sign of their rejection of God. Just like when they kept the Sabbath, it was a sign or expression of their love and faith in God. So God told them that, and what happened is, basically, they, they, when they came back from exile over time, they developed this idea that the reason that we were exiled was because we broke the Sabbath. And yes, they, it was that they broke the heart of the Sabbath, but they kind of missed the point. It wasn't the, it wasn't the technical aspects of the Sabbath that were the reasons that they were exiled, that they broke the, you know, the technical aspects, because there were commands about working. But that's what they thought. They thought that it was all about the fact that they had broken the Sabbath, the legality of the Sabbath, that they had worked somehow. They were told not to work. And so they thought that what they would do is just to build all these laws around the Sabbath to make sure they never broke the Sabbath again. They'd come up with all these different rules on the Sabbath to make sure they never broke it again because they never wanted to go into exile again. And they came up with all sorts of rules. We've talked about those before, right, in this series. You remember the one about uh, what you could carry on the Sabbath? You could, you could only carry something lighter than an olive or a fig on the Sabbath. Otherwise, it was considered work, and you were breaking the Sabbath, according to their interpretation. If you ate something on the Sabbath that was carried, that was wrong, too. But if you ate only half of it, that was okay. Unless you happened to eat it and then spit it back up, and then eat it again, and then it was two times a half, that was a whole, they were breaking the Sabbath. That's actually there in their laws. They also taught that you could spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground, on the mud, because when you spit, you mix mud and water, and that was like making mortar, that's work. You can't spit on the, the mud, you can spit on a rock. That's the level of where it got. They missed the point. It would be kind of like having, you know, a, a 50th birthday party for somebody or, and, and, and wanting to celebrate with them and, and doing all this preparation to honor them and just because you love them and so forth and then fixating on the flavor of the frosting. And it became for you all about the frosting, what frosting you were going to have for the birthday cake. And, and that's what, that became your focus and you were consumed and you forgot all about the guest of honor. That's kind of what had happened. The Sabbath was about their relationship with God, God's love for them. And yet they were fixated on the flavor of the frosting. They were fixated on what particular rules they followed. And that's the background to our situation here. All these rules were there. There's this hyper-caution about the Sabbath. And in walks Jesus with his disciples. He comes in and he's walking in a grain field with his disciples. And as was law and custom in their cultures, you could pick the grain heads uh, and eat them of another farmer's field. Now, for us, you'd get in trouble. You know, there's barbed wire around fields and things like that. But for them, it was permissible to just glean a little bit as you walk through, just to snack. And it, it was okay to do that, but not on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. You could not reap. They considered that reaping, working. Indeed, it would have been a violation of the Sabbath for a farmer to go out and to reap his field on a, on a Saturday, their Sabbath day. But they considered even just picking some of the grains of, 
uh, heads of the grain to eat as reaping and a violation of that. So that's what's going on. Jesus is walking through the field. His disciples are picking the grain and maybe just have a handful of grain they're eating. And the Pharisees see that and they say, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They have no idea who it is that they're talking to. They've missed the exceptional, the extraordinary. It's Jesus. They don't know, and they're about to get something they don't plan for. So Jesus answers them. How does he answer them? What, what does he say? Why does he end up in this conclusion that he's Lord of the Sabbath? Well, first, he brings up a story they would have known well. The story of King David. David was the greatest king in Israel. David was a, uh, a wonderful king after God's own heart. Now, he also had great failings and experienced great forgiveness. That's another story. But he was a wonderful king in many ways. He was the, the, the ideal king for Israel. And he was a, a picture of the future king that God was going to bring. There were promises in the Old Testament that God would bring this ultimate king after David, even greater than David. And so Jesus reminds them of this story about David. What happened was David was driven from the, he wasn't king yet. He was driven from King Saul. And he went out with his men. And they were hungry. And it probably was a Sabbath, although the text doesn't say that. We don't know for sure. But probably a Sabbath. And he's with his men. And they were hungry. And they go to the priests at Nob. And this is where the priests, uh, probably where the tabernacle was set up. This was a place of worship. And he asked the priest, do you have any bread? He's hungry. His men are hungry. The priest says, no, I, we don't have any normal bread, but I do have the holy bread. There was bread that was holy that went in the tabernacle once a week on, sun, on Sabbath, Saturday. And it was part of worship, the bread of the presence. It was holy bread. And if you read in the Old Testament, you don't mess around with the holy bread and what's in the tabernacle. People die when they mess around with that. But David goes and asks, and the priest says, all I have is this holy bread. And basically he says, you know, you guys can have this. So David takes the holy bread and gives it to his men, and they eat this holy bread. It was not lawful, technically, to do that. And the story, if you read about it, it never says anything negative about David doing this, really. It never condemns him for doing it. And the idea is that the reason is because he's the anointed king of Israel. He is the exceptional person, and he can technically break the Sabbath. He's allowed to do this. In a sense, he has authority. So Jesus cites that first, the story of David. And then he says, do we have projection to show, by the way? I don't know if we have trouble. No? It's in Dropbox. You can't get it. Okay. You can look in your Bibles. Uh, he also, he says about King David, this story about King David, and then he, he says... This other truth, this is a parallel truth with it. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So second reason he cites, second thing he says, is that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't about constricting you and, and dominating you. The Sabbath is a gift to you. It's a gift from God. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. So he's getting at the fact that the Pharisees were getting this backwards, really. Now that was an expression that was not uncommon. Uh, so they would have heard others say that, but they themselves were not practicing it. They were slaves of the Sabbath, slaves of the law, as we talked about last week. So he says those two reasons, and then he says this really amazing statement that, that relates to these two reasons. He says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the conclusion is you have King David who could, was allowed to 
do what was unlawful on the Sabbath. You have the fact that the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then you have the fact that Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what's that about? In Daniel chapter 7, it talks about this phrase, the Son of Man. And, and I believe uh, Sean covered this the other week, this phrase, the Son of Man. Jesus used this phrase, the Son of Man, to mean something. He didn't just mean like a son of any man. He didn't just mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a, I'm a human being. No, the phrase, Son of Man, was a phrase used in Daniel chapter 7. Listen to what it says in Daniel 7. This is a vision that Daniel has. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm that guy. I'm that guy in Daniel 7. And that guy in Daniel 7 is not any ordinary guy. He certainly is a man, but he's more than a man. He comes with the clouds of heaven. That's a term that's used of God. God's really the only one who comes with the clouds of heaven. God rides on the clouds as a chariot. God arrives on the clouds of heaven. This man arrives on the clouds of heaven. He's not just a man. He's God. And to him is given dominion and glory and kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is no ordinary man. This is the Son of Man. This is God's Son, God the Son, who comes. He comes as the fulfillment of David. He is greater than David. If David can go in and take the showbread and, and eat it and give it to his friends, then the one greater than David can certainly do so as well. If the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath, the one who's the ultimate man, the fulfillment of mankind, can certainly do what he wants with the Sabbath. If anyone knows how to handle the Sabbath, it's Jesus. If anyone knows how to properly observe the Sabbath, it's Jesus. If anyone can make proper interpretation of what you can do and not do on the Sabbath, it's Jesus. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And so the story continues. In chapter 3, and it's all related. It's probably another Sabbath day, actually. And Mark probably uh, arranged these stories to fit together. It's Mark would, takes material and puts it together to make points. So he takes these two Sabbath incidents that probably were separated at least by a week and puts them together because he wants to bring the truth of Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath to us. And this next story, he's in, he's in the synagogue and there's someone there with a withered hand. He's probably in his hometown synagogue, uh, well, at least Peter's hometown synagogue in Capernaum. There's a man with a withered hand. And the same Pharisees and leaders are there, and they're looking to see what he would do on the Sabbath. They're not happy. They're not happy about his behavior on the Sabbath. He is definitely getting them upset and breaking the Sabbath as they would consider it, and they are blind to the extraordinary. 
Jesus knows all this. So he says to the withered man, come here. And then he says to them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? I realized this week that I I had always read these uh, accounts and thought, you know, Jesus just happened to have an opportunity to heal on the Sabbath and, you know, that's what led to the conflict because these guys had a different view. But I don't think that now. I think actually Jesus did this intentionally on the Sabbath because he could have healed on Monday, on Sunday for them, or on Friday. It really kind of would be petty, right, just to pick a fight on the Sabbath. I mean, if these guys are upset about the Sabbath, you know, all right, just let them be upset and we'll, we'll, we'll argue about more important things. You know, this is kind of petty. But he had a statement to make. He was making a statement about himself and the Sabbath. He's making a statement that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and he's making a statement about the whole purpose of the Sabbath. See, these guys had twisted the Sabbath. They had twisted it, and it was about obeying rules and not eating two halves of a fig and all that sort of stuff, not spitting in dirt. They had missed it. This is a glorious celebration of the rest that God offers to his people. That's what the Sabbath is about. And he's there as the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And so he on purpose says to the guy with the withered hand, come up here. We're going to have a little show and tell today. And then he asks them, guys, what's the right thing to do on the Sabbath? In other words, guys, what's the Sabbath about? Doing good or harm? Bringing life or killing. They're silent. They don't want to answer. They know where it will lead. And Jesus looks around at them. He is grieved. He's angered that these guys have totally missed what the Sabbath is about. And so now he's going to demonstrate what the Sabbath is about. Stretch out your hand. The man stretches his hand out, and the Lord of the Sabbath, in an expression of the fulfillment of the Sabbath, heals his hand. The Sabbath is about bringing life. The Sabbath is about healing. The Sabbath is about Jesus coming to restore us to God and restore creation to us and to God. The Sabbath is about all these things. The Sabbath is about bringing this rest that we long for. And the Pharisees missed it. And ironically, ironically in this passage, they do just the opposite of what the Sabbath is about. For when Jesus asked them, is it about doing good or harm, saving life or killing? He knows what's going to happen. He's going to do good, and he's going to save life. And they immediately leave and plot to harm and to kill. And they do it, a work of plotting with the Herodians and their irreligious group, political group, They work on the Sabbath. They violate the essence and the law of the Sabbath in contradiction to the Lord of the Sabbath. A wonderful story, a dramatic story. A story about Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. A story about the sadness of the Pharisees and those that would miss the Sabbath. And and in and of itself, it has much merit. 
We learn about Jesus. We see who he is. Certainly, this story is really important to the disciples. It's really important to the Pharisees. It's really important to Jesus. But you might be thinking, what about me? What does it have to do with me? I'm, I'm not a Jew, uh, Jew who lives under the law. What is this about me? Well, there's a lot of implications from this truth. But uh, as the band comes up, let me just quickly touch on a few of the implications for us. First off, if indeed Jesus is all these things, if he's the Son of Man, if he's the fulfillment of these promises in Scripture, if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, if he's the ultimate Sabbath rest, if he's the one who brings redemption, if he's the one who brings us into God's presence and peace, then the simple application of reading the story is, I want to follow him. I want to trust him. I want to know this Lord of the Sabbath. And so the first straightforward implication is follow him. Believe in him. Trust him. Trust him anew this morning. That's probably the most important application. As we behold him in his glory as Lord of the Sabbath, we are renewed in our faith. Yes, I can follow him. I can trust him. If you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, this story is for you. God would want you to put your faith in the one who's Lord of the Sabbath and Lord of all. Secondly, tell others. What would you do if you had the cure for all sickness? And you knew, you had it in pill form, say. Would you tell others about it? I think so. You'd tell everybody. You'd want people to be cured of sickness, cancer, aging, whatever it might be. You would tell everybody. But in Jesus, there's a cure that is even better than the cure for physical sickness. There's a cure for spiritual sickness in him. He brings the Sabbath. He brings restoration. He brings restoration spiritually, and he will bring restoration physically. For the scriptures tell us when he returns, he'll renew creation. The physical will be renewed. We'll have new bodies. So tell someone about the Lord of the Sabbath. Tell someone this week. Ask God to give you one opportunity to tell someone about the Lord of the Sabbath. A simple application. And then thirdly, Finally, enjoy your Sabbath rest. Enjoy it. He's provided for you. And every day of life is to be Sabbath rest. Even amidst trials, even amidst hardship, we in Christ have this overcoming truth that overcomes even the worst things the world can throw at us, that we have rest in Christ. We have forgiveness. We have eternal life. So we can enjoy rest even in hardship. And I'd also encourage you to think about how to express that by taking one day in the week, Sunday would probably be the best day, to express the truths of this rest. To do that practically. To come to church on Sunday. You're already doing this. That's great. But perhaps do other things on your Sunday to express this Sabbath rest. Maybe just go home and rest instead of working. Maybe invite others over for lunch or for dinner. And enjoy your rest together. Invite those who know Christ and, and rest together. Invite those do, who don't yet know Christ and share with them the difference rest, the rest in Christ means for you. Maybe take some time just to worship God, to read his word, but to rest, to express that rest on Sunday. These are three different applications from this wonderful truth that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, that he brings us rest. We want to avoid the practice, the folly of the Pharisees. We want to come 
to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Allow him to teach us about rest in him. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for the rest that you bring. We thank you that you came and you healed on the Sabbath and then you fulfilled the Sabbath in your death and resurrection and now we have rest in you. Thank you. Fill our hearts, I pray, with an understanding of that rest and I pray a joy and a peace and hope that comes with that. And Lord, use us to tell others about this fabulous rest we have in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.